welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, part two of Henry Lawson's Water Them Geraniums. A great short story about some real hard life living in the Australian bush. Hope you enjoy it. Next morning, things looked a lot brighter. Things always look brighter in the morning. More so in the Australian bush, I should think, than in most other places. It is when the sun goes down on the dark bed of the lonely bush, and the sunset flashes like a sea of fire, and then fades, and then glows out again, like a bank of coals, and then burns away to ashes. It is then that old things come home to one, and strange, new old things, too, that haunt and depress you terribly, and that you can't understand. I often think how, at sunset, the past must come home to new chum black sheep, sent out to Australia and drifted into the bush. I used to think that they couldn't have much brains, or the loneliness would drive them mad. I decided to let James take the team for a trip or two. He could drive all right. He was a better businessman, and no doubt would manage better than me, as long as the novelty lasted, and I'd stay at home for a week or so till Mary got used to the place, or I could get a girl from somewhere to come and stay with her. The first weeks or few months of loneliness are the worst, as a rule, I believe, as they say the first weeks in jail are. I was never there. I know it's so with tramping or hard graft. The first day or two are twice as hard as any of the rest. But for my part, I could never get used to loneliness and dullness. The last days used to be the worst with me. Then I'd have to make a move or drink. When you've been too much and too long alone in a lonely place, you begin to do queer things and think queer thoughts, provided you have any imagination at all. You'll sometimes sit of an evening and watch the lonely track, by the hour, for a horseman or a cart or someone that's never likely to come that way, someone or a stranger that you can't and don't really expect to see. I think that most men who have been alone in the bush for any length of time and married couples, too, or more or less mad. With married couples, it is generally the husband who is painfully shy and awkward when strangers come. The woman seems to stand the loneliness better, and can hold her own with strangers, as a rule. It's only afterwards, and looking back, that you see how queer you got. Shepherds and boundary riders, who are alone for months, must have their periodical spree at the nearest shanty, else they'd go raving mad. Drink is the only break in the awful monotony, and the yearly or half-yearly spree is the only thing they've got to look forward to. It keeps their minds fixed on something definite ahead. But Mary kept her head pretty well through the first months of loneliness. Weeks, rather, I should say. For it wasn't as bad as it might have been further up country. There was generally someone came of a Sunday afternoon— a spring cart with a couple of women, or maybe a family, or a lanky-shy bush native or two on lanky-shy horses. On a quiet Sunday, after I'd brought Jim home, Mary would dress him and herself, just the same as if we were in town, and make me get up on one end and put on a collar and take her and Jim for a walk along the creek. She said she wanted to keep me civilized. She tried to make a gentleman of me for years, but gave it up gradually. Well, it was the first morning on the creek. I was greasing the wagon wheels, 
"'and James out after the horse, "'and Mary hanging out clothes, "'in an old print dress and a big ugly white hood, "'when I heard her being hailed as, "'Hi, missus, from the front slip rails. "'It was a boy on horseback. "'He was a light-haired, "'very much freckled boy of fourteen or fifteen, "'with a small head, but with limbs, "'especially his bare sun-blotched shanks, "'that might have belonged to a grown man. "'He had a good face and frank gray eyes. "'An old, nearly black cabbage tree hat "'rested on the butts of his ears, "'turning them out at right angles from his head, "'and rather dirty sprouts they were. "'He wore a dirty, torn Crimean shirt "'and a pair of man's moleskin trousers "'rolled up above the knees, "'with the wide waistband gathered under a green hide belt. "'I noticed later on that, "'even when he wore trousers short enough for him, "'he always rolled them up above the knees "'when on horseback, for some reason of his own, "'to suggest leggings, perhaps, "'for he had them rolled up in all weathers, "'and he wouldn't have bothered to save them "'from the sweat of the horse, "'even if that horse ever sweated. "'He was seated astride a three-bushel bag "'thrown across the ridge-pole of a big gray horse "'with a coffin-shaped head, "'and built astern something after the style "'of a roughly put-up, hip-roofed box-bark humpy, "'or rough hut. "'His color was like old box-bark, too.' "'a dirty bluish-gray. "'And, one time, when I saw his rump looming out of the scrub, "'I really thought it was some old shepherd's hut "'that I hadn't noticed there before. "'When he cantered, it was like a hump "'he started off in its corner post. "'Are you Mrs. Wilson?' asked the boy. "'Yes,' said Mary. "'Well, Mother told me to ride across "'and see if you wanted anything. "'We killed last night, and I fetched a piece of cow. "'A piece of what?' asked Mary.' He grinned and handed a sugar bag across the rail with something heavy in the bottom of it that nearly jerked Mary's arm out when she took it. It was a piece of beef that looked as if it had been cut off with a wood axe, but it was fresh and clean. "'Oh, I'm so glad!' cried Mary. She was always impulsive, save to me sometimes. "'I was just wondering where we were going to get any fresh meat. How kind of your mother! Tell her I'm very much obliged to her indeed!' "'and she felt behind her for a poor little purse she had. "'And now, how much did your mother say it would be?' "'The boy blinked at her and scratched his head. "'How much will it be?' he repeated, puzzled. "'Oh, how much does it weigh? I suppose you mean. "'Well, it ain't been weighed at all. "'We ain't got no scales. "'A butcher does all that sort of thing. "'We just kills it and cooks it and eats it "'and goes by guess. "'What won't keep?' "'We salts down in the cask. "'I reckon it weighs about a ton, by the weight of it, "'if you want to know. "'Mother thought that if she sent any more "'it would go bad before you could scoff it. "'I can't see.' "'Yes, yes,' said Mary, getting confused. "'But what I want to know is, "'how do you manage when you sell it?' "'He glared at her and scratched his head. "'Sell it? "'Well, we only goes halves in a steer with someone, "'or sells steers to the butcher.' "'or maybe some meat to a party of fencers or surveyors "'or tank sinkers, or them sort of people. "'Yes, yes, but what I want to know is, "'how how much am I to send your mother for this?' "'How much what?' "'Money, of course, you stupid boy,' said Mary. "'You seem a very stupid boy.' "'Then he saw what she was driving at. "'He began to fling his heels convulsively against the side of his horse, "'jerking his body backward and forward at the same time, as if to wind up and start some clockwork machinery inside the horse 
that made it go, and seemed to need repairing or oiling. "'We ain't that sort of people, missus,' he said. "'We don't sell meat to new people to come to settle here.' Then, jerking his thumb contemptuously towards the ridges, "'Go over to Wall's if you want to buy meat. They sell meat to strangers.' Wall was the big squatter over the ridges. "'Oh!' said Mary. "'I'm so sorry.' "'Thank your mother for me. "'She is kind. "'Oh, that's nothing. "'She said to tell you she'll be up as soon as she can. "'She'd have come up yesterday evening. "'She thought you'd feel lonely coming to a new place like this, "'but she couldn't get up.' "'The machinery inside the old horse showed signs of starting. "'You almost heard the wooden joints creak as he lurched forward, "'like an old propped-up wooden hut when the rotting foundations give way. "'But at the sound of Mary's voice, "'he settled back on his foundations again. "'It must have been a very poor selection "'that couldn't afford a better spare horse than that. "'Reach me that lump or wood, will you, missus?' "'said the boy, "'and he pointed to one of my spreads "'for the team chains that lay inside the fence. "'I'll fling it back again over the fence "'when I get this old cow started.' "'But, but wait a minute. "'I've forgotten your mother's name,' said Mary. "'He grabbed at his thatch impatiently. "'Me mother... "'Oh, the old woman's name's Mrs. Spicer. "'Get up, can't you?' "'He twisted himself around "'and brought the stretcher down on one of the horse's points, "'and he had many, "'with a crack that must have jarred his wrist. "'Do you go to school?' asked Mary. "'There was a three-days-a-week school "'over the ridges at Wall Station. "'No!' "'He jerked out, keeping his legs going. "'Me? Why, well, I'm going on for fifteen. "'The last teacher at Wallace finished me. "'I'm going to Queensland next month, droving.' "'Queensland border was over 300 miles away. "'Finished you? How?' asked Mary. "'Me education, of course. "'How do you expect me to start this horse when you keep talking?' "'He split the spread over the horse's point, "'threw the pieces over the fence, and was off, "'his elbows and legs flinging wildly, "'and the old saw-stool lumbering along the road "'like an old working bullock trying to canter.' That horse wasn't a trotter. And next month, he did start for Queensland. He was a younger son and a surplus boy on a wretched, poverty-stricken selection. And as there was North and Doon in the district, his father, in a burst of fatherly kindness, I suppose, made him a present of the old horse and a new pair of blucher boots. And I gave him an old saddle and a coat. And he started for the Never Never Country. And I'll bet he got there. But I'm doubtful if the old horse did. We'll return with Water Them Geraniums, Part 2, by Henry Lawson, right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to our story. Mary gave the boy five shillings, and I don't think he had anything more except a clean shirt and an extra pair of white cotton socks. Spicer's farm was a big bark humpy on a patchy clearing in the native apple tree scrub. The clearing was fenced in by a light, dog-legged fence, a fence of sapling poles resting on forks and X-shaped uprights, and the dusty ground round the house was almost entirely covered with cattle dung. There was no attempt at cultivation when I came to live on the creek, but there were old furrow marks amongst the stumps of another shapeless patch in the scrub near the hut. There was a wretched sapling cow yard and calf pen and a cow bale with one sheet of bark over it for shelter. There was no dairy to be seen, and I suppose the milk was set in one of the two skillion rooms, or lean-tos behind the hut. 
The other was the boys' bedroom. The Spicers kept a few cows and steers and had thirty or forty sheep. Mrs. Spicer used to drive down the creek once a week in her rickety old spring cart to Cabora with butter and eggs. The hut was nearly as bare inside as it was out, just a frame of round timber, which is sapling poles, covered with bark. The furniture was permanent, unless you rooted it up, like in our kitchen, a rough slab table on stakes driven into the ground, and seats made the same way. Mary told me afterwards that the beds in the bag and bark partitioned off room, mother's bedroom, were simply poles laid side by side on cross pieces supported by stakes driven into the ground, with straw mattresses and some worn out bedclothes. Mrs. Spicer had an old patchwork quilt in rags and the remains of a white one, and Mary said it was pitiful to see how these things would be spread over the beds, to hide them as much as possible, when she went down there. A packing case with something like an old print skirt draped round it, and a cracked looking glass without a frame on top, was the dressing table. There were a couple of gin cases for a wardrobe. The boys' beds were three bushel bags stretched between poles fastened to uprights. The floor was the original surface, tramped hard, worn uneven with much sweeping, and with puddles in rainy weather where the roof leaked. Mrs. Spicer used to stand old tins, dishes, and buckets under as many of the leaks as she could. The saucepans, kettles, and boilers were old kerosene tins and billies. They used kerosene tins, too, cut long ways in halves, for setting the milk in. The plates and cups were of tin. There were two or three cups without saucers, and a crockery plate or two. Also two mugs, cracked and without handles. One with, for a good boy, and the other with, for a good girl, on it. But all these were kept on the mantel shelf for ornament and for company. They were the only ornaments in the house, save a little wooden clock that hadn't gone for years. Mrs. Spicer had a superstition that she had some things packed away from the children. The pictures were cut from old copies of the Illustrated Sydney News and pasted onto the bark. I remember this because I remembered long ago the Spencers, who were our neighbors when I was a boy, had the walls of their bedroom covered with illustrations of the American Civil War, cut from illustrated London papers. And I used to sneak into Mother's bedroom with Fred Spencer whenever we got the chance and gloat over the prints. I gave him a blade of a pocket knife once just for taking me there. I saw very little of Spicer. He was a big, dark, dark-haired and whiskered man. I had an idea that he wasn't a selector at all, only a dummy for the squatter of the Cabora run. You see, selectors were allowed to take up land on runs or pastoral leases. The squatters kept them off as much as possible by all manner of dodges and paltry persecution. The squatter would get as much freehold as he could afford, select as much land as the law allowed one man to take up, and then employ dummies or dummy selectors to take up bits of land that he fancied about his run and hold them for him. Spicer seemed gloomy and unsociable. He was seldom at home. He was generally supposed to be away shearing or fencing or working on somebody's station. It turned out that the last six months he was away it was on the evidence of a cask of beef and a hide with the brand cut out, bound in his camp on a fencing contract up-country, and which he and his mates couldn't account for satisfactorily, while the squatter could. 
"'Then the family lived mostly on bread and honey, "'or bread and treacle, or bread and dripping, and tea. "'Every ounce of butter and every egg was needed for the market "'to keep them in flour, tea, and sugar. "'Mary found that out, but couldn't help them much, "'except by stuffing the children with bread and meat "'or bread and jam whenever they came up to our place.' "'for Mrs. Spicer was proud with the pride "'that lies down in the end "'and turns its face to the wall and dies. "'Once, when Mary asked Annie, "'the eldest girl at home, if she was hungry, "'she denied it. "'But she looked it. "'A ragged mite she had with her explained things. "'The little fellow said, "'Mother told Annie not to say we was hungry if you're asked, "'but if you give us anything to eat, "'we was to take it and say thank you, Mrs. Wilson.' "'I wouldn't have told you a lie, "'but I thought Jimmy would split on me, Mrs. Wilson,' said Annie. "'Thank you, Mrs. Wilson.' "'She was not a big woman. "'She was gaunt and flat-chested, "'and her face was burnt to a brick, as they say out there. "'She had brown eyes, nearly red, "'and a little wild-looking at times, "'and a sharp face, ground sharp by hardship, "'the cheeks drawn in. "'She had an expression like, "'Well, like a woman who had been very curious and suspicious at one time "'and wanted to know everybody's business and hear everything "'and had lost all her curiosity "'without losing the expression or the quick suspicious movements of the head. "'I don't suppose you understand. "'I can't explain it any other way. "'She was not more than forty. "'I remember the first morning I saw her. "'I was going up the creek to look at the selection for the first time.' "'and called at the hut to see if she had a bit of fresh mutton, "'as I had none, and was sick of corned beef. "'Yes, of course,' she said, in a sharp, nasty tone, "'as if to say, "'Is there anything more you want while the shop's open?' "'I'd met just the same sort of woman years before "'while I was carrying swag between the shearing sheds "'and the awful scrubs out west of the Darling River, "'so I didn't turn on my heels and walk away. "'I waited for her to speak again.' "'Come inside,' she said, "'and sit down. "'I see you've got the wagon outside. "'I suppose your name's Wilson, ain't it? "'You're thinking about taking on Harry Marshfield's selection up the creek. "'So I heard. "'Wait till I fry you a chop and boil the billy.' "'Her voice sounded, more than anything else, "'like a voice coming out of a phonograph. "'I heard one in Sydney the other day, "'and not like a voice coming out of her.' "'but sometimes when she got outside her everyday life on this selection, "'she spoke in a sort of, in a sort of lost, groping-in-the-dark kind of voice. "'She didn't talk much this time, "'just spoke in a mechanical way of the drought and the hard times, "'and butter and eggs being down, "'and her husband and eldest son being away, "'and that making it so hard for her. "'I don't know how many children she had. "'I never got a chance to count them. "'for they were nearly all small and shy as pickaninnies "'and used to run and hide when anybody came. "'They were mostly nearly as black as pickaninnies, too. "'She must have averaged a baby a year for years, "'and God only knows how she got over her confinements. "'Once, they said, she only had a black gin with her. "'She had an elder boy and girl, but she seldom spoke of them. "'The girl, Lisa, was in service in Sydney.' "'and I'm afraid I knew what that meant. "'The elder son was away. "'He had been a bit of a favorite round there, it seemed. "'Someone might ask her, "'How's your son Jack, Mrs. Spicer?' "'Or, 
"'Heard of Jack lately? "'And where is he now?' "'Oh, he's somewheres up country,' she'd say in a groping voice. "'Or he's droving in Queensland, or shearing on the Darlin', "'the last time I heard from him. "'We ain't had a line from him since, let's see, "'since Christmas for last.' "'And she turned her haggard eyes in a helpless, hopeless sort of way "'towards the west, towards up country, and out back. "'Out back is always west of the Bushman.' "'no matter how far out he be. "'The eldest girl at home was nine or ten, "'with a little old face at lines across her forehead. "'She had an older expression than her mother. "'Tommy went to Queensland, as I told you. "'The eldest son at home, Bill, older than Tommy, "'was a bit wild. "'I passed the place in smothering hot mornings in December, "'when the droppings about the cow-yard "'had crumpled to dust that rose in the warm, "'sickly sunrise wind.' and seen that woman at work in the cow-yard, bailing up and leg-roping cows, milking, or hauling at a rope round the neck of a half-grown calf that was too strong for her, and she was tough as fencing wire, or humping great buckets of sour milk to the pigs or the potties, hand-fed calves, in the pen. I'd get off the horse and give her hand sometimes with a young steer or a cranky old cow that wouldn't bail up and threatened her with her horns, she'd say, "'Thank you, Mr. Wilson. "'Do you think we're ever going to have any rain?' "'I've ridden past the place on bitter black rainy mornings in June or July "'and seen her trudging about the yard "'that was ankle-deep in black liquid filth "'with an old pair of bleacher boots on "'and an old coat of her husband's "'or maybe a three-bushel bag over her shoulders. "'I've seen her climbing on the roof "'by means of the water cask at the corner.' "'and trying to stop a leak by shoving a piece of tin in under the bark. "'And when I'd fixed the leak, "'thank you, Mr. Wilson. "'This drop of rain's a blessing. "'Come in and have a dry at the fire, "'and I'll make you a cup of tea. "'And if I was in a hurry, "'Come in, man alive, come in, "'and dry yourself a bit till the rain holds up. "'You can't go home like this. "'You'll get your death a cold.' "'I've even seen her in the terrible drought. "'climbing she-oaks and apple-trees by a makeshift ladder "'and awkwardly lopping off boughs to feed the starving cattle. "'Just trying to keep the milkers alive till the rain comes,' she would say. "'They said that when the pleuro-pneumonia was in the district "'and amongst her cattle, she bled and physicked them herself "'and fed those that were down with slices of half-ripe pumpkins "'from a crop that had failed. "'And one day,' she told Mary, "'There was a big barren heifer "'that we called Queen Elizabeth "'that was down with the pleurer. "'She'd been down for four days and hadn't moved, "'when one morning I dumped some wheat and chaff. "'We had a few bags that Spicer brought home. "'I dumped it in front of her nose. "'And would you believe me, Mrs. Wilson? "'She stumbled onto her feet "'and chased me all the way to the house. "'I had to pick up my skirts and run. "'Wasn't that ridiculous?' They had a sense of the ridiculous, most of those poor sun-dried bushwomen. I fancied that that helped save them from madness. We lost nearly all our milkers, she told Mary. I remember one day Tommy came running to the house and screamed, Martha, there's another milker down with the pleurer, just as if it was great news. Well, Mrs. Wilson, I was dead beat, and I give in. I just sat down to have a good cry. "'and felt for my handkerchief. "'It was a rag of a handkerchief, "'full of holes, 
"'All me others was in the wash. "'Without seeing what I was doing, "'I put me finger through one hole in the handkerchief "'and me thumb through the other "'and poked me fingers into me eyes "'instead of wiping them. "'And then all I could do was laugh. "'There's a story that once, "'when the bush, or rather grass, fires "'were out all along the creek on Spicer's side, "'Wall's station hands were up above our place, "'trying to keep the fire back from the boundary. "'And towards evening one of the men "'happened to think of the Spicers. "'They saw smoke down that way. "'Spicer was away from home, "'and they had a small crop of wheat, "'nearly ripe, on the selection. "'My God, that poor devil of a woman "'will be burnt out if she ain't already,' "'shouted young Billy Wall. "'Come along, three or four of you chaps.' "'It was shearing time.' "'and there was plenty of men on the station. "'They raced down the creek to Spicer's "'and were just in time to save the wheat. "'She had her sleeves tucked up "'and was beating out the burning grass with a bow. "'She'd been at it for an hour "'and was as black as a gin,' they said. "'She only said when they'd turned the fire, "'Thank you. Wait, I'll make some tea.' "'After tea the first Sunday, she came to see us. "'Mary asked, "'Don't you feel lonely, Mrs. Spicer?' "'when your husband goes away?' "'Well, no, Mrs. Wilson,' "'she said in that groping sort of voice. "'I used her once. "'I remember when we lived on the Kujigong River. "'We lived in a brick house then. "'The first time Spicer had to go away from home, "'I nearly fretted my eyes out. "'And he was only going shearing for a month. "'I must have been a fool. "'But then we were only just married a little while.' He's been away droving in Queensland as long as eighteen months at a time since then. But, her voice seemed to grope in the dark more than ever, I don't mind. I somehow seem to have got past Karen. Besides, Spicer was a very different man then to what he is now. He's got so moody and gloomy at home, he hardly ever speaks. Mary sat silent for a minute, thinking. "'Then Mrs. Spicer roused herself. "'Oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. "'You mustn't take any notice of me, Mrs. Wilson. "'I don't often go on like this. "'I do believe I'm getting a bit ratty at times. "'It must be the heat and the dullness.' "'But once or twice afterwards she referred to a time "'when Spicer was a different man to what he was now. "'I walked home with her a piece along the creek. "'She said nothing for a long time "'and seemed to be thinking in a puzzled way.' Then she said suddenly, "'What did you bring her here for? She's only a girl.' "'I beg pardon, Mrs. Spicer?' "'Oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. I believe I'm getting ratty. You mustn't take any notice of me, Mr. Wilson.' She wasn't much company for Mary, and often, when she had a child with her, she'd start taking notice of the baby while Mary was talking, which used to exasperate Mary. But poor Mrs. Spicer couldn't help it and she seemed to hear all the same. Her great trouble was that she couldn't get no regular schooling for the children. I learns from at home as much as I can, but I don't get a minute to call me own, and I'm generally that deadbeat at night that I'm fit for nothing. Mary had some of the children up now and then, later on, and taught them a little. When she first offered to do so, Mrs. Spicer laid hold of the handiest youngster and said, There, you hear that? "'Mrs. Wilson's going to teach her, and it's more than you deserve.' "'The youngster had been crying over something. "'Now go up and say thank you, Mrs. Wilson, "'and if you ain't good and don't do as she tells you, "'I'll break every bone in your young body.' 
the poor little devil stammered something and escaped. The children were sent by turns over to walls to Sunday school. When Tommy was at home, he had a new pair of elastic side boots, and there was no end of rows about them in the family, for the mother made him lend them to his sister Annie to go to Sunday school in, in her turn. There were only about three pairs of anyway decent boots in the family, and these were saved for great occasions. The children were always as clean and tidy as possible when they came to our place. And I think the saddest and most pathetic sight on the face of God's earth is the children of very poor people made to appear well. The broken, worn-out boots polished or greased, the blackened, inked pieces of string for laces, the clean, patched pinafores over the wretched, threadbare frocks, behind the little row of children hand in hand, and no matter where they are, I always see the worn face of the mother. Towards the end of the first year on the selection, our little girl came. I'd sent Mary to Gulgong for four months that time, and when she came back with the baby, Mrs. Spicer used to come up pretty often. She came up several times when Mary was ill to lend a hand. She wouldn't sit down and condole with Mary, or waste her time asking questions, or talking about the time when she was ill herself. She'd take off her hat, a shapeless little lump of black straw she wore for visiting, give her hair a quick brush back with the palms of her hands, roll up her sleeves, and set to work to tidy up. She seemed to take most pleasure in sorting out our children's clothes and dressing them. Perhaps she used to dress her own like that in the days when Spicer was a different man from what he was now. She seemed interested in the fashion plates of some women's journals we had and used to study them with an interest that puzzled me for she was not likely to go in for fashion. She never talked of her early girlhood, but Mary, from some things she noticed, was inclined to think that Mrs. Spicer had been fairly well brought up. For instance, Dr. Belafonte, from Kudjigong, came out to see Walls's wife, and drove up the creek to our place on his way back to see how Mary and the baby were getting on. Mary got out some crockery and some table napkins that she had packed away for occasions like this, and she said that the way Mrs. Spicer handled the things and helped set the table, although she did it in a mechanical sort of way, convinced her that she'd been used to table napkins at one time in her life. Sometimes after a long pause in the conversation, Mrs. Spicer would say suddenly, Oh, I don't think I'll come up next week, Mrs. Wilson. Why, Mrs. Spicer? Because the visits doesn't do me any good. I get the dismals afterwards. "'Why, Mrs. Spicer, what on earth do you mean?' "'Oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. "'You mustn't take any notice of me.' "'And she'd put on her hat, kiss the children, "'and Mary, too, sometimes, if she mistook her for a child, and go. "'Mary thought her a little mad at times, but I seemed to understand. "'Once, when Mrs. Spicer was sick, Mary went down to her, "'and down again next day.' As she was coming away the second time, Mrs. Spicer said, I wish you wouldn't come down any more till I'm on me feet, Mrs. Wilson. The children can do for me. Why, Mrs. Spicer? Well, the place is in such a muck, and it hurts me. We were the aristocrats of Lay's Creek. Whenever we drove down on Sunday afternoon to see Mrs. Spicer, and as soon as we got near enough for them to hear the rattle of the cart, we'd see the children run into the house as fast as they could split. "'and hear them screaming. "'Oh, Martha, here comes Mr. and Mrs. Wilson in their spring cart. "'And we'd see her bustle round, "'and two or three fowls fly out the front door, 
"'and she'd lay hold of a broom "'made of a bound bunch of broom stuff, "'coarse reedy grass or bush from the ridges, "'with a stick stuck in it, "'and flick out the door, "'with a flick or two round in front of the door, perhaps. "'The floor nearly always needed at least one flick of the broom "'on account of the fowls. "'Or she'd catch a youngster and scrub his face "'with the wet end of a cloudy towel, "'or twist the towel round her finger and dig out his ears, "'as if she was anxious to have him hear every word "'that was going to be said.' No matter what state the house would be in, she'd always say, I was just expecting you, Mrs. Wilson. And she was original in that, anyway. She had an old patched and darned white tablecloth that she used to spread on the table when we were there, as a matter of course. She'd say, The others is in the wash, so you must excuse this, Mrs. Wilson. But I saw by the eyes of the children that that cloth was rather a wonderful thing to them. "'I must really get some more knives and forks next time I'm in Kabora,' she'd say. "'The children break and lose them, till I'm ashamed to ask Christians to sit down at the table.' "'She had many bush yarns, some of them very funny, some of them rather ghastly, "'but all interesting, and with a grim sort of humor about them. "'But the effect was often spoiled by her screaming at the children. "'To drive out them fowls, can't you? "'Or take your mollies, hands, out of the sugar.' "'or don't touch Mrs. Wilson's baby with them dirty mollies, "'or don't stand staring at Mrs. Wilson with your mouth and your ears in that vulgar way.' "'Poor woman. "'She seemed everlastingly nagging at the children. "'It was a habit, but they didn't seem to mind. "'Most bish women get the nagging habit. "'I remember one who had the prettiest, dearest, sweetest, "'most willing and affectionate little girl I think I ever saw. "'And she nagged that child from daylight till dark.' "'And after. "'Taking it all round, "'I think that the nagging habit in a mother "'is often worse on ordinary children "'and more deadly on sensitive youngsters "'than the drinking habit in a father. "'One of the yarns Mrs. Spicer told us "'was about a squatter she knew "'who used to go wrong in his head every now and then "'and try to commit suicide. "'Once when the station hand, who was watching him, "'had his eye off him for a minute, "'he hanged himself to a beam in the stable.' "'The men ran in and found him hanging and kicking. "'They let him hang for a while,' said Mrs. Spicer, "'till he went black in the face and stopped kicking. "'Then they cut him down and threw a bucket of water over him. "'Why? What on earth did they let the man hang for?' asked Mary. "'To give him a good bellyful of it. "'They thought it would cure him of trying to hang himself again.' "'Why, that's the coldest thing I ever heard of,' said Mary. "'That's just what the magistrate said, Mrs. Wilson.' "'said Mrs. Spicer. "'One morning,' said Mrs. Spicer, "'Spicer had gone off on his horse somewhere, "'and I was alone with the children, "'when a man came to the door and said, "'For God's sake, woman, give me a drink!' "'Lord only knows where he came from. "'He was dressed like a new chum. "'His clothes was good, "'but he looked as if he'd been sleeping in them "'in the bush for a month. "'He was very shaky. "'I had some coffee that morning, "'so I gave him some in a pint pot. He drank it, and then he stood on his head till he tumbled over, and then he stood up on his feet and said, Thank you, Mum. I was so surprised that I didn't know what to say, so I just said, Would you like some more coffee? Yes, thank you, he said, about two quarts. I nearly filled the pint pot, and he drank it and stood on his head as long as he could, and when he got right end up, he said, Thank you, Mum. It's a fine day. "'and then he walked off. "'He had two saddle straps in his hands. "'Why, what did he stand on his head for?' 
asked Mary. "'To wash it up and down, I suppose, "'to get twice as much taste of the coffee. "'He had no hat. "'I sent Tommy across the walls "'to tell him that there was a man "'wandering about the bush in the horrors of drink, "'and to get someone to ride for the police. "'But they was too late, "'for he hanged himself that night.' "'Oh, Lord!' cried Mary. "'Yes, right close to here, "'just down the creek where the track "'the walls branches off. "'Tommy found him while he was out after the cows.' "'hanging to the branch of a tree with the two saddle-straps. "'Mary just stared at her, speechless. "'Tommy came home yelling with fright. "'I sent him over to Walls at once. "'After breakfast, the minute my eyes was off them, "'the children slipped away and went down there. "'They came back screaming at the top of their voices. "'I did give it to them. "'I reckon they won't want to see a dead body again in a hurry. "'Every time I'd mention it, they'd huddle together, "'or catch hold of me skirts and howl.' "'You'll go again when I tell you not to,' I'd say. "'Oh, no, mother,' they'd howl. "'You're wanted to see a man hanging,' I said. "'Oh, don't, mother, don't talk about it. "'You wouldn't be satisfied till you see it,' I'd say. "'You had to see it or burst. "'Now you're satisfied, ain't you?' "'Oh, don't, mother. "'You run all the way there, I suppose. "'Don't, mother. "'But you run faster back, didn't you?' "'Mother!' "'But,' said Mrs. Spicer, in conclusion, "'I'd been down to see it myself before they was up. "'And ain't you afraid to live alone here "'after all these horrible things?' asked Mary. "'Well, no, I don't mind. "'I seem to have got past caring for anything now. "'I felt it a little when Tommy went away, "'the first time I'd felt anything for years. "'But I'm over that now.' "'Haven't you got any friends in the district, Mrs. Spicer?' "'Oh, yes. There's me married sister near Cabora, "'and a married brother near Dubbo. He's got a station. "'They wanted to take me and the children between them, "'or take some of the younger children. "'But I couldn't bring my mind to break up the home. "'I want to keep the children together as much as possible. "'There's enough of them gone, God knows. "'But it's a comfort to know that there's someone to see to them "'if anything happens to me.' One day, I was on my way home with the team that day. Annie Spicer came running up the creek in terrible trouble. Oh, Mrs. Wilson, a trooper's come and took Billy. Billy was the eldest son at home. What? It's true, Mrs. Wilson. What for? Did the, what did the policeman say? He, he, he said, I'm, I'm very sorry, Mrs. Spicer, but, but I want William. It turned out that William was wanted on account of a horse missed from Wall's Station and sold down country. And mother took on awful, sobbed Annie. And now she'll only sit stock still and stare in front of her and won't take no notice of any of us. Oh, it's awful, Mrs. Wilson. The policeman said he'd tell Aunt Emma, Mrs. Spicer's sister at Cabora, and send her out. But I had to come to you, and I've run all the way. James put the horse to the cart, "'and drove Mary down. "'Mary told me all about it when I came home. "'I found her just as Annie said, "'but she broke down and cried in my arms. "'Oh, Joe, it was awful. "'She didn't cry like a woman. "'I heard a man at Haviland cry at his brother's funeral, "'and it was just like that. "'She came round a bit after a while. "'Her sister's with her now. "'Oh, Joe, you must take me away from the bush.' "'Later on, Mary said, "'How the oaks are sighing tonight, Joe. 
"'Next morning I rode across to Wallace Station and tackled the old man. "'But he was a hard man and wouldn't listen to me. "'In fact, he ordered me off the station. "'I was a selector, and that was enough for him. "'But young Billy Wall rode after me. "'Look here, Joe,' he said. "'It's a blanky shame, all for the sake of a horse. "'And as if that poor devil of a woman hasn't got enough to put up with already. "'I wouldn't do it for twenty horses. "'I'll tackle the boss, and if you won't listen to me, "'I'll walk off the run for the last time, if I have to carry my swag.' "'Billy Wall managed it. "'The charge was withdrawn, and we got young Billy Spicer off of country. "'But poor Mrs. Spicer was never the same after that. "'She seldom came up to our place unless Mary dragged her, so to speak, "'and then she would talk of nothing but her last trouble, "'till her visits were painful to look forward to. "'If it only could have been kept quiet for the sake of the other children,' "'They're all I think of now. "'I tried to bring them up decent, "'but I suppose it was my fault, somehow. "'It's the disgrace that's killing me. "'I can't bear it.' "'I was at home one Sunday with Mary "'and a jolly bush girl named Maggie Charlesworth, "'who rode over sometimes from Wall Station. "'I must tell you about her some other time. "'James was shook after her. "'And we got talking about Mrs. Spicer. "'Maggie was very warm about old Wall.' "'I expected Mrs. Spicer up today,' said Mary. "'She seems better lately.' "'Why,' cried Maggie Charlesworth, "'if that ain't Annie come running up along the creek, "'something's the matter.' "'We all jumped up and ran out. "'What is it, Annie?' cried Mary. "'Oh, Mrs. Wilson, mother's asleep, "'and we can't wake her.' "'What?' "'It, it's the truth, Mrs. Wilson.' "'How long has she been asleep?' "'Since last night.' "'My God!' cried Mary. "'Since last night?' "'No, Mrs. Wilson, not all the time. "'She woke once, about daylight this morning. "'She called me and said she didn't feel well, "'and I'd have to manage the milking.' "'Was that all she said?' "'No. She said not to go for you. "'And she said to feed the pigs and calves. "'And she said to be sure and water them geraniums.' "'Mary wanted to go.' "'but I wouldn't let her. "'James and I saddled our horses "'and rode down the creek. "'Mrs. Spicer looked very little different "'from what she did when I last saw her alive. "'It was some time before we could believe "'that she was dead. "'But she was past caring right enough. "'Hope you enjoyed this two-part story "'from Henry Lawson called Water Them Geraniums. "'Quite a story of living in the Australian bush.' Life wasn't easy, and few writers could put it in words better than Henry Lawson. We just received a review this morning, as a matter of fact, five stars for 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, called Wonderful Stories. I thoroughly enjoy listening to the stories, especially the older ones that are not so popular. Our culture is desperate for the values in times gone by. We foolishly believe we are advancing. And by the way, Glasgow is pronounced Glasgow. The G in Edinburgh is silent, same as through and nigh. I know I said once in a recent podcast, Edinburgh. I appreciate John's sense of humor and humility. Thanks for all the 1001 podcasts. Thank you, Maximum Mary. That was a very nice review, and I don't mind you correcting me on a couple of words. And although sometimes I chafe a little at corrections, yours was fair and well done. And those are two words 
that I know how to say properly now. Although you never know, I may still mispronounce them in the future if they come up. Thanks for the nice review. We always appreciate reviews, folks, especially kind ones, and we also appreciate your sharing our show with others. I hope you enjoyed Water Them Geraniums by Henry Lawson, and there'll be more Henry Lawson stories and Banjo Peterson stories in the future. I really appreciate having you listeners with us, and I enjoy these stories as much as you. I do look for the right story. I'll go through five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten stories sometimes just to find the right one, but I think it's worth it, because most of the stories I do bring are obviously appreciated by you listeners. And I hope that's what sets us apart from other story podcasts. All I can say is I appreciate you all being out there. You're a part of the family. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Everyone stay safe. We'll be back soon.